We understand now more than ever how every one of our actions, our thoughts, even our feelings and moods impact not only ourselves and the people immediately around us, but impact the whole world, impact the whole universe, it impacts the system. We're part of this massive system and every action, every activity uh, that happens within ourselves as human beings uh, impacts through the energetic effect we have on our surroundings, impacts everything. And the same applies with mitzvot. Mitzvot are very, very powerful and highly intricate instruments. Every mitzvah we do, every word of Hashem that we fulfill, every commandment of the Torah that we fulfill, if we do it correctly, has amazing impact on all the worlds of the universe in ways that we can't even begin to understand. Uh, Kabbalah certainly deals with that and how every action down here that performed by an ordinary human being impacts the worlds all the way up to Hashem himself. And so we have so much strength and power in every mitzvah we perform. But that being the case, the mitzvah has to be performed accurately and correctly, and that's why I call it a high-precision instrument. Imagine that you had an instrument that you had to calibrate precisely, uh, and if the dial is exactly on the right, at the right point, uh, it, has, it has enormous impact and it, it, it does a whole lot of good. Uh, we would have to be very careful to see that the instrument is always calibrated correct, correctly, and the same it is with the mitzvot. That's why the halakha is so meticulous about every detail, both from a time and, and dimensions and, and, and every aspect of a mitzvah to make sure that it's, it's accurate, that it's calibrated correctly and that it's precise. So that when we do the mitzvah, if we also do it with the right intentions, uh, that mitzvah is able to infuse inspirational energy into the whole universe, not just into the people in our immediate sphere of influence. And if you remember just a few daf back on daf lametet, we had that beautiful piece dealing with uh, having to make a bracha of um, asiyatan, that you have to make a bracha before the mitzvah. And we had that lovely Tosfus read that the Ritva brought, explaining that the reason for that is that the mitzvah is a physical activity. The bracha is about the mind space, getting your thoughts and your head and your heart in the right space. And we always have to prepare ourselves spiritually and emotionally before we do the physical action, so that the physical action has content, so that the physical action has meaning, uh, has soul to it. In order for our physical actions not to merely be transactions, we need to prepare ourselves emotionally and spiritually. And that's what a bracha is. If we just did a mitzvah without the thought and without the intention, the mitzvah would be valid. We've done the mitzvah. We can check it off. We've transactionally performed the mitzvah. But its spiritual power has been depleted by the absence of our of our thought process. And that's what a bracha, that's what the blessing before the mitzvah does. It brings our attention, our mindfulness into the mitzvah uh, to make sure that we're coming from the right inner space as we perform that mitzvah. That being said, it now becomes critically important to know from what moment the mitzvah actually begins. When do you perform the mitzvah? If the idea is to make the bracha before the mitzvah, then we have to know when the mitzvah actually commences. When does it start? Uh, and in fact, it, it's quite a, a tight bit of timing because you can't make the bracha long before the mitzvah. So you want to make the bracha just before the mitzvah, which means it's really important to know at what point the mitzvah starts. We spoke just the other day about the mitzvah of sitting in a sukkah. Does the mitzvah start when you sit down? Does the mitzvah start when you eat something? When do you have to make the bracha? And we had that discussion. The same discussion applies with lulav and esrog. When we take our arba minim, when we take the four species on, on sukkot, uh, and we move them. We don't have to do the full movement that we do during the halal, backwards, forwards, left and right, and up and down. Um, 
that's the mitzvah, a, a, a rabbinical mitzvah, it's a mitzvah derabonon of the na'anunim, of those movements. But to be mekayim the mitzvah, to fulfill the mitzvah of taking ulekachtem lachem, to take it for yourselves, these four species, that act of taking, what constitutes that act of taking? Is it lifting it up? Is it moving? Is it walking for amot with it? What constitutes taking? And that's part of what we discuss in on, on our daf today, on, on Mem Bet Amidalef, on 42a, where we have a, a remarkable comment of Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah on yesterday's daf, where Rabbi Yossi says that if a person on the first day of Yom Tif was busy with his lulav and esrog, and for a moment he forgot it was Shabbos and he walked into the public domain, he walked into Rosh Hashanah, Normally, he would be high of a korban chatat. You would have to bring a sin offering for that because you would have transgressed a, a, a law of the Torah. But the fact is, he's patur. Why is he patur? Says the Mishnah. Because he carried it with permission. What does that mean? We don't have permission to carry on Shabbat. Uh, Rashi explains. He was busy with the mitzvah. He was so involved in the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog, trying to work out exactly how to do it and how to carry it and to take care of his Lulav and Esrog, that his mind was so preoccupied that he forgot for a moment that it was Shabbos. And that's a good kind of um, uh, absent-mindedness. If you're absent-minded because your mind is on the, on, on the news or your mind is on your business, that's not a valid form of absent-mindedness. And if because of that you forget that it's Shabbos, you're still chayav. But if a person forgot that it was Shabbos because he was totally preoccupied with the mitzvah, that's different, and it's called Bereshut Mitzvah, that he carries this Lulav and Esrog out into the street with the permission of the mitzvah, so to say. And it's just so interesting as an aside to see what it means to do a mitzvah to a point where one is so absorbed in it, one is so concerned, one is so focused, that we lose awareness of everything else that's going on around us. We're meditatively and, and deeply engaged in the thoughts and the feelings of the mitzvah. And that's called tarud be mitzvah. Uh, so much so that mitoch kach ta'ah shabbat, the person actually forgot that it was Shabbos and he carried it out on Shabbos. Now, on, on Agamor, at the bottom of Mem, Aleph Amud Bet and the top of our Mem Bet, Abaya qualifies Rabbi Yossi's comments. So Rabbi Yossi, who said that if you carry out a lulav on, on Esrog on the first day of Yom Tif, which is a Shabbos, you're patur, you're not uh, required to bring a korban, um, says Abaya, that is only if you haven't yet used your lulav. So the lulav that you're taking out is a lulav that you need to do the mitzvah with, and while you're moving it, while you're carrying it into the public domain, at that very moment, you're doing the mitzvah. But if you got up early in the morning, you went into the sukkah, and you opened your lulav and esrog, and you said your bracha, and you shook your lulav and esrog, and later you forgot that it was Shabbos and Yom Tov, and you walked outside. Even if the reason you forgot was because you were thinking of Sukkot, it doesn't matter. You've already done the mitzvah of lulav and esrog, and so you won't have that ptur, you won't have that relief of being involved with tirda, the mitzvah, of being involved with a, a mitzvah itself. Uh, Rabbi Kiva Eger asks a fascinating question, such a creative question, and he says, um, well, sorry, before we even do that, the Gemara says, says, self says, um, but that means that, that if you've lifted up the lulav, then you're going to be chayev, and asks the Gemara, the moment you lift it up, you are yotze, you're doing the mitzvah. So again, the lulav's 
lying on the on the table in your house you lift the lulav up in order to go outside and your mind is completely occupied on the on the lulav it says the gemara you were you fulfilled your mitzvah with the lulav the moment you lift it up now you walk outside into the public domain now why would you be patu so there's no real scenario where rabbi yossi's principle is relevant Rabbi Yossi says if you're preoccupied with doing the mitzvah, with the act of doing the mitzvah of lulav, and at that moment you walk out into public domain, you'll be excused. That, that's excusable. But says the Gemara, that will never happen because the moment you lift it up before you even walk out of your house, you've already been yotze. And, and then the Gemara goes on and, and, and creates a scenario which would make a, a relevant case for Rabbi Yossi. But Rabbi Gevegar asks an interesting question and he says that in order to be chayav for, for Shabbat, the, the law of carrying out of private property into public property requires two pieces to be present. Number one, there has to be an akira. You must have lifted up the object in private property, and then there must be a hanacha. You must have put the object down in public property. If either of those activities are missing, there's no proper akira, no proper hanacha, you didn't lift it up in private and put it down in public or vice versa, then that's not the Isidorai, so that's not the Torah prohibition of carrying from one domain to another domain. In that case, says Rabbi Akiva Eger, um, since when he lifted up the lulav, he was free because at that moment of looking, lifting up the lulav, he's both performing the mitzvah and is preoccupied with the mitzvah. So that doesn't count as an akira. That doesn't count from the perspective of the laws of Shabbat. That doesn't count as lifting it. And therefore, when he puts it down in the public domain or he walks with it in the public domain later, it's a hanacha without an akira. There hasn't been an akira. So there is no situation, once again, Rabbi Kiva Eger claims, where a person can, uh, be, can, can be fulfilling the mitzvah of lulav and the Isra of Shabbos simultaneously. Because the moment he, he is disobeying the law of Shabbos, he's lifting up in Rishus HaYachid, the moment he's lifting the Lulav up in the private domain, at that very moment, he's fulfilling the mitzvah. And therefore, the act of lifting it up has no halachic relevance with respect to Shabbos. And then he ends it off by saying, Vashem he considers this as such a powerful question. Rabbi Kiva Eger is one of the most amazing intellects that we have in and certainly in modern times and even before, Rabbi Kiveger is stumped and has no answer for that question. And an answer is proposed by the Rishash. The Rishash, an amazing person, the 19th century, lived in Vilna. He was, had, had a business. His wife ran his business. He had a, a brewery that used to make beer, and he, he did very well from that. Um, and, and he sat and learnt and gave shirim in, in Vilna. But one of the things he was famous for was his library. He had an amazing library of about 6,000 sfarim. Uh, and he was a researcher. He was just a very detailed scholastic researcher. Um, and through his research was able to bring about some, some interesting, uh, innovative comments and insights into, into every page of Gemara virtually that we, we have the Rishash on. Um, and that library was, it was important until modern times. The Chazun Ishu later moved to Israel when he lived in Vilna, used to spend a fortune of time in that library. Uh, when the Rishash died, he left it to the city of Vilna on condition it was open and anybody could use it. And the, um, the Chazanish is one of many, many people who did use that library uh, and got full benefit from it. And during the war, the Nazis took the library away and it was going to go off into their museum and research center of this ancient religion that was no longer in existence, Judaism. 
Uh, and after the war, there have been attempts, there were attempts to recover the library, and part of it was recovered, and it was divided up. Part of it was sent to New York, and part of it was sent to Israel, probably in the, in the Israel Museum, in, in the Israel Library today. Anyway, the Rishas says that those moments are separated. That means that it's not so, as the Rabbi Kiva suggests, that the moment you lift up the lulav, at that moment, you are both fulfilling the mitzvah of lulav, and it's the akira, it's the first part of the prohibition of carrying a lulav out into the public. No, says Rabbi Kiva that uh, no, says the, the Rashash, um, the moment you lift the lulav and esrog out of its box, off the table, Long, long before you've lifted it up properly, three tfachim or more, where you, there would be a problem from the perspective of Shabbos, before that, you've just got it in your hands, and your hand is still on the table. At that point, you're already are fulfilling the mitzvah of, of Lulav and Esrog. So Rabbi Yossi is, is right. There's clearly a case where you could fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog, and thereafter carry it, lift it up, and carry it out to Rishut HaRabim. And that way, when you're carrying it out to the Rishut HaRabim, which is your Akira, that's your lifting it up, at that moment, you've already fulfilled your mitzvah of, of the Lulav. Um, and the, 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 what we're seeing is a very meticulous definition of the moment of fulfilling that mitzvah. According to Rabbi Kiva Ege, you fulfill that mitzvah only when you've lifted it up properly. Uh, according to the Rishash, merely lifting it um, from its place of resting, um, moving it, holding it in your hands, ready to use, that already fulfills the mitzvah. And the Rishash brings a proof for his view uh, from the Vilna Gaon, because, as you'll see in the sources from the Rosh and the, the Shilte Giborim, who brings the, uh, the Riaz, the Riaz is the grandson of the Tosfus Rid, who we were talking about a little earlier. Um, you'll see from the Rosh and the Shilte Giborim that they agree with Rabbi Kivega, that's where Rabbi Kivega gets the principle from, um, that you are uh, to be mekayim, the mitzvah of lulav, to actually fulfill the mitzvah of taking the lulav, you've got to take it properly. You've got to lift it up three tfachim at least. Um, whereas the Rashash wants to suggest not so. Uh, and he brings a proof from the Vilna Gaon who says that he can't really find a, a, a way, a means where you can make the brocha before you fulfill the mitzvah because you can't make the brocha without holding the lulav and esrog in your hand and the moment you hold the lulav and esrog in your hand you're doing you're being mekayim the mitzvah you're fulfilling the mitzvah so says the rishash you see from that vilna gon that that it isn't an option just to hold the the, the mitzvah the, the lulav and esrog on the table in your hand but not lift it up that isn't an option, because if that was an option, the Vilna Gaon would say, that's the way to do it. Hold the Lulav and Esrug down on the table, make your bracha, and then lift it up and shake it properly. Uh, since he doesn't do that, you see that there, there is no kiyuma mitzvah. You're not actually, uh, that, that you cannot make the bracha while you're holding it, because at that moment already, the moment you're holding it, you're already fulfilling the, the mitzvah of the Lulav and Esrug. Hence, the Vilna Gaon struggles to find a situation where you actually can first say the bracha and then fulfill the mitzvah. Uh, so again, Rabbi Kivega sees the two and the Rosh and the Shulte Giborim see the two happening together. That means that, that the, the mitzvah is fulfilled only, um, the, that the mitzvah is fulfilled uh, only when you're holding the Lulav and Esrit properly. Um, and the Rishash says, no, you can, fulfill, you can say the Brochari, you can fulfill the mitzvah much earlier than that. Uh, and then when you lift it up properly, you would be transgressing the, the Akira of Shabbat, uh, and that would be the problem. 
again, just, just a, a beautiful, refined method of thinking that the uh, Acharonim, the Rishash, and the Rikivegia take us through in order to d- determine the moment at which one begins the mitzvah of, of Lulav and Etrog, um, and the different of, uh, difference of opinion between Rabbi Kiveiger, um, who holds that uh, the moment you, you, you've got to actually lift it up properly before you can fulfill the mitzvah, merely holding it on the table won't work, whereas the Rishash says even just taking it and putting it in your hand before you lift it up, you're already in the mitzvah, and, uh, and, and therefore to make the brocha, you would have to say very clearly, as the Vilna Gaon says, my intention is not to be Mekayim the Mitzvah, even though I'm holding the Lun of Anestrog, until after I've said the Bracha. Because any other attempt to hold to say the Bracha before doing the Mitzvah won't work, according to the Vilna Gaon and according to the Rishash, because the moment you touch the Lun of Anestrog in, in any way, uh, ready to, to use it, you would be Mekayim the Mitzvah in full.